Troy? Uh, you're on mic. You're muted. Yeah. Troy. Sorry, guys. That's right. Go ahead. Come Holy Spirit, fill the heart of your faithful and enkindle within this circle and within us individually the fire of your love. Let's see that fire like little tongues, little uh, flames above each one's head and a white light coming down from heaven in through the top of our head, swirling around our pineal gland and our throat, entering that heart, that grand and glorious heart where we share our love to the world in an unconditional way. And any healing that needs or balancing that needs to be done at lower chakras, just receive that now. And from this balanced place, send out your love and light to your compatriots here. And then to your wider circle people you know, and then be the light of the world by shedding it, shedding that love abroad to the earth itself, to our logoic sun, and to all the people on this planet and celestial helpers. Even the bad guys you can pray for. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Wonderful. <clears throat> All right. Well, we're going to be sharing some faith stories. And um, we talked a little bit about what faith was last time. And I think just for the sake of our conversation here, why don't we look at faith as something that is akin to what Ra is saying? And that is when we have a strong seeking, super strong seeking inside of us, but we can't see, obviously we can't predict the future, we don't know the future, but we have a strong seeking that comes and wells inside and we have faith that something is going to happen. And uh, maybe we go through a hard time or a time of uncertainty or something like that. And through our faith, um, we, we have a trust that we're going to land somewhere that will bear fruit and bring us to the archetype of resurrection, if you will. So I'd like to just uh, throw that out there and... I'm going to open up with, um, <clears throat> we can go multiple times, by the way, uh, or you can go and you don't have to share at all. So we're free to do that. But I'd like to open up with, um, there, there are three 
obviously everybody's going to have probably lots of good stories to share, but I'm going to say that there are three ones that I have thought about myself, and I'm going to offer the first one here. And if there's more time, I'll offer those as well um, later on. But this was this would be an example of um, some faith that really did change the trajectory of my life. And uh, <clears throat> it's related to um, this sense that I was called to Nicaragua. Um, I, I wanted to do volunteer work after college. And so I went to Nicaragua for two years. How I got to make that decision of going to Nicaragua was um, I was in front, I was praying and I had a choice between do I go and not go to Nicaragua and do the safe thing, stay here, get a job, um, like everybody in my whole family was telling me, or do the do this really crazy thing, not get paid for two years, uh, go off in the jungle for two, you know, just really crazy. And uh, nobody was telling me that was a good idea. In my my friends were cool with it, but I'm talking like uh, authority figures in my life. They all thought I was nuts. They didn't understand it. I ended up making that decision to go to Nicaragua and um, it was, I think, the best decision of my life um, because it changed the trajectory of my life completely. Uh, and the second best decision I've ever made was to stay in Nicaragua. And that's what I'm going to share right now because what ended up happening is I myself have always struggled with um, depression and anxiety. And back then, back in my early 20s, it wasn't treated. Um, so here I was in Nicaragua. I thought I spoke Spanish, but boy, did I not understand much what was going on. And it was rural Nicaragua, and, and I had lived in Mexico, so it wasn't the same kind of Spanish. And I was thrust into a situation where I was teaching English to 60 kids <laughs> uh, <clears throat> without electricity. And I'd never taught before, so I wasn't really well prepared in many ways. But um, the way it worked for me is that I started to get very depressed. And I never left my, it got to where I couldn't even leave my mosquito, my, my bed, which had a mosquito net on it. I just, I couldn't even leave my mosquito net. I was just so depressed. And I, I just, uh, every day was a struggle. And could I just survive? It was, I, the priest I landed and the priest with whom I was staying had to go out. So I didn't see him for two weeks because he had 150 communities he was involved with. The guy that the American that I was replacing, we overlapped for one day and then he went back to the States for two months. So I was by myself uh, and it was it was a terrible situation in the middle of the jungle. Um, and I remember thinking, I can't do this. There's no way I'm going to be able to do this. Yet inside of me, I had this incredibly strong faith that I was supposed to do this. And all of these things had synchronicity lined up to allow me to go there. Things that I couldn't have forced. It just happened. Um, <clears throat> and But I said, I can't do this. I'm, I'm, I, I, I can't eat. I have an anxiety attacks. I can't do this. And so I prayed. And my prayer was... Uh, you know, what should I do? And the word that kept in my head 
was paciencia, which means patience in Spanish. Paciencia. Now, that's not what I wanted to hear, because what I wanted to hear is, casa, <laughs> come home. Um, but what I heard was paciencia in my head. Then I was talking, I, I left that night, I went out to the village, and uh, this guy came up to me and said, paciencia, like out of the freaking blue. He said, I mean, I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but I remember him saying paciencia, which I kind of like thought to myself, dadgummit, <laughs> I don't want to hear this. Then that night, I had a dream. And at that point, I hadn't met Mr. Mr. T, uh, Troy, to, to teach me how to do dream analysis. That would be several decades later. But um, I had a dream that night, and I remembered it. And that dream was still so vivid. And it was where a woman came up to me and said, Paciencia. And of course, I wake up, I'm, I'm feeling depressed, but and I'm like, dang. Well, you know what? Screw it. I'm still leaving. Because my thinking was, I told God if I hear it three times, and that was number two. And so I was still pretty sure I was going to leave. But um, that day I was asked to give a retreat to some nuns in Spanish, which I didn't speak very well, so I had to write it all out. And the retreat was about the gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit. And I had walked in late to this retreat because I was typing it out and everybody had gotten a um, piece of paper of one of the gifts or fruits of the Holy Spirit. I was the last one and the nun said, okay, here's your, turned it over, paciencia. And then at the very end of the retreat, she was passing out, as Troy said, the little tongue of fire. I, you know, from the Bible, there's this sense of after um, Pentecost, these little tongues of fire come down and rest upon the apostles' heads. I mean, it's, it's sort of, a, a, it's, in, it's in the New Testament there. Um, and so it was, the retreat was on the Holy Spirit. And she got to me, she was passing out these little cut out look like little flames with one of the gifts and fruits and she got to me and it dropped and it fluttered down and she was about to give me another one i says no I'll, I'll just pick this one up i reached down picked it up turned it over paciencia four times in 18 hours that i get paciencia and at that point i could no longer say that it wasn't absolutely clear for me that I had to stay in Nicaragua. So I ended up moving things around. So I didn't, I wasn't alone. I left that village and went to a different one. It changed my life. I completely got rearranged, came back, went to grad school, met my wife. All of these things unfolded because of that pivotal time in my life. Um, but the faith that I had going into it was I had to go to Nicaragua I couldn't explain it to anybody, but the pain that I was feeling there was so great that I had, I felt like I had to come back and, but my seeking was, I, 
I want to follow my vocation. I want to follow my vocation. And I had the faith that these synchronicities were telling me this is God's will that I'm, you know, now was it my higher self? Who knows? All I know is that I got the answer. I stayed. My life completely changed. So I wanted to share that with you. That was a, a incredibly pivotal point in my life. Uh, so thank you for listening. And anybody else now can share too, please. So I will share. Uh, everybody here knows probably, or you're about to find out, that I got into recovery about 23 years ago. And um, I had no faith. I was just desperate. So I was doing everything that I was told. And so I'm basically just, I'm living one day to the next, either in an AA meeting or at work. I'm miserable, utterly miserable. And I'm giving up hope on top of it, which I had a little hope that maybe this would help. Because I was thinking, you know, if I can't feel better, I don't really care if I'm sober. So I wanted to feel better also. Now, I went up to Dallas. I, I, I lived in Lubbock, Texas back then. I went up to Dallas to see my parents and had a predictably miserable time. I almost feel like I went there to convince myself that I needed a drink, but I didn't. On the way back, it's night, I'm driving, and about three quarters of the way, it's you know almost 400 miles there. I noticed that my radio wasn't working quite right and my lights were getting dim. So I turned my radio off and I, I'm like, I wonder what's going on here. And my lights keep getting dimmer and dimmer. So I pulled into this green elevator that had a light. I popped a hood and I don't have any belts the belt that's supposed to be going from the engine to the alternator to charge the battery is gone. I'm about 75 miles from anything and it's the middle of the night. So I'm like, okay, this would be a good test. Hey God, will you give me the resources to make it home? And I'm expecting an adventure of some kind, like I'm gonna, you know, some chicken truck is gonna come via boost or something. And I just go back to driving. So I drive and the car is running worse and worse and worse as we get, as I'm getting home. And about a block, maybe a block and a half away, it finally craps out and dies. So they kick it into neutral. And I coasted into my driveway and didn't have to use the brake to stop. And I was like, oh, shit, now I'm gonna have to believe something. So later on that evening, I go in, or that night, I go in and I do as I'm told. I'm praying twice a day just because I'm told to, you know, fuck it. Maybe something will happen. I'm seriously, that's my attitude at the time. And I'm on my knees and I'm praying and I'm like, you know what? Everything is miserable and then you get me home. Like, you can't make me happy. You can't, like, give me a million dollars. You can't give me a girlfriend, but you can get me home. 
I need something or I'm giving up. I mean, this is great that you got me home. I'm glad you could do that. But, you know, and I start, believe it or not, I start cussing out God. I mean, every, I already talked like a sailor and it was worse then. It was much worse. And all of a sudden, I, I, I go to speak and nothing comes out of my mouth. And I feel presence in the room. And I feel a warm feeling in my chest. And for the first time in my life that I could remember, I did not feel alone. Like inside, I felt, I had been around people, of course, but I actually felt connected to something. And almost every time to this day that I pray and I'm down, in my mind, I'm remembering that and I get reconnected. And um, that almost sounds like a lack of faith story, but it's where mine started. So there you go. There's mine. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael. That's beautiful. <clears throat> Wonderful. Who else would like to share? I can uh, share, Doug. Please. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, some of you um, have uh, heard some of my story in the uh, Slack channel and, and whatnot, but um kind of always been uh a seeker i guess you could say i was i grew up um catholic but uh as i've described um before it was um a dutiful thing um what, what i would call you know we would go to church and um yeah i, I wouldn't feel anything you know sometimes you'd going to church and you could hear the voices and just the people together, you feel like a little bit of a sense of awe, um, just that like some of the, the community aspect of it. Uh, but for, for the most part, I never felt a presence, um, from what I can tell. Um, and I kind of lost faith in it, I guess. Um, but I always felt like there was something, uh, that connected us to, you know, nature or the universe or, or something. Um, probably 12 years ago, um, I, I felt this, um, I wouldn't say a presence, but it was just this very um, hard belief or uh, feeling that I would, that I was like destined or like preordained to have a daughter <laughs> it was just like a uh i don't it was just a feeling that i had that was very like heart centric and something i just could feel um it, it's hard to explain i don't think i fully understood it until two years ago but um Two years ago, I did have a daughter. Um, that daughter uh, was born 
um, and in utero, you know, little did we know, um, she came home and everything seemed very normal, but, um, she started to have, uh, seizures. And, um, you know, once we had an EEG done, we found that in utero, she had a pretty massive stroke on the uh, left side of her, her brain, um, that was causing that epilepsy and whatnot. And um, we went through a pretty long journey, but, uh, you know, without all the great details, um, we ended up doing uh, a hemisterectomy after a lot of different drugs had failed uh, to suppress the seizures, um, which essentially is the separating of the two halves of the brain. and you know that is a difficult process to go through with a very young baby. You know, to to have them in the in the, um, the hospital bed and stuff like that. It, it, it's very hard to see. But um, now I'm realizing, you know, as she's two years old and she's recovering, she's you know walking, which we, we didn't know if she would, but she is still nonverbal, and it will. You know, we don't know if she will you know pick that up or not. And, and to be honest, you know, to me, it doesn't really matter if she does. It's just, you know, she will progress the way she will. And um, what's very uh, clear to me now, especially going through all of this and all the uh, meditation and the law of one and just talking to everybody uh, in our group, the heart uh, has been a, a major um theme throughout my whole life and it started probably my dad died when i was 12 from a major heart attack and and so i've been uh very heart focused um physically for a very long time um and now i feel like energetically i'm very heart focused for a very different reason and and that reason is to me my daughter because she's she's missing part of her mind um, on the physical level um, I feel like the heart level um, is where she'll be communicating the most and and to me um, and I can feel it already um, that there's a very deep heartfelt connection um, so for me I, I keep exercising that and uh, hopefully to grow it, you know, obviously our, our, uh, our group, which is, you know, bringing to forward density is all about that, that heart space. So, um, everything is kind of coming together. I feel like in that way, that's, that's my story so far. Thank you so much, Rob. I, uh, what I'm hearing you say too is you just knew you were going to have a daughter so there was this sense of a presence that that was her and then here she is and then through her physical disabilities she's your teacher it's almost as if she were your teacher before and she was kind of said i'm going to teach you some things (laughs) uh because it's been just so heart opening for you and uh, your faith of 
hearing, feeling that voice, feel, feeling that presence, wanting to come into the world, here she is, and then still having that same faith that you're learning from her in an open-hearted Green Ray place. Is is that what I'm hearing For you sure. say? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's even better of a way to put it, I think. You know, now that you bring it up, the presence of someone being around me is, is probably, I mean, four or five years ago, I went to a medium and it just came to my, my mind as you said that. And um, this this person said there was there was someone there and I'm like, talk about my mom and my dad. And she was like, no, this is more childlike. So, um, it, it, so yeah makes sense thank you that was that was beautiful and for as long as as you allow us to walk with you we will in this too thank you <laughs> somebody else Troy? I have a quick story. I was a 20-year-old young man, uh, somewhat devout, or very devout, actually. But um, I did not know what to do with this lovely woman by my side at that time, who was just my girlfriend. And I did not know if I was going to get into medical school. And uh, I did not know a lot of things that I, I wish I knew because they were sources of anxiety for me. And I had, I wished that an angel would just come down and tell me what to do. And filled with 20-year-old angst, I was sitting out in front of the uh, university library and I heard this song that the Baptists sing it goes for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day so it's a bible verse and it goes but the the word that was underscored was whom for I know whom and I realized that I was not asked to have faith in the outcome of the events of my girlfriend or the events of my medical school or the events of my academic career, but I was called to have faith in a whom, in a person. And that just helped me so much to realize that at that time that I didn't have to know the outcome of all these events. I could just trust the whom. That's my story. the relationality of of the mystery um yeah this transcendent quality of god that transcends us and includes us and incarnates as us but from our perspective there there's this a dialogue and in, in both uh, many traditions but also the law of one teaches that that love uh, is this great source of relationality and that you can have a, a, a whom to 
throw and catch and throw and catch. And it really does open up the heart and it helps that faith. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Eduardo or Tatiana, would you guys, would anybody like to share? I will, Doug. Okay, thank you. Um, sorry, no video tonight, but um, as I was listening to everybody, I was just kind of thinking back over all the times in my life, um, since about the age 15, when uh, things just started to feel getting darker and darker with, with each passing, passing year, and remembering that that sense of always being held and always being gently guided or even I could hear um, a message um, and I you know I didn't think you know think about relating that to the word faith that was a different and more recent journey for me um, but I've, I've um, always I've always had that um, I mean, even times as I went, seems like our 20s were rough for a lot of us. And uh, even in my 20s, uh, when I really didn't want to walk this earth any, any longer, um, I would get the message, uh, well, first of all, I wasn't going to be allowed not to walk this earth anymore. But the message was more that all would be well. You know that everything's going to be okay. You know you just got that sensation for that. Um, and I have asked. Um, you know, I remember even when we were thinking about simple things like moving to Texas after living in Washington most of my life. And I asked. I said. I asked. I said. You know, do we move to Texas? And I got a real clear yes. And uh, and I even. I thought, are you sure? And I got another clear yes. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna leave it alone. I'm gonna ask again later. And I and I asked one more time, and I got a clear yes. And then a little similar to your story, Doug, that things just started to unfold. I mean, asking this question in July, and all the things that needed to happen in order to get get us here by. October 1st of that same year were just one door after another are very synchronistic and uh, and then of course then being here for my father's passing in person able to hold his hand at the very end and talk to him you know was a blessing um, I mean and even more recently as, as Michael was sharing his car story I couldn't help but giggle because that's kind of what our experience was. And, and I kept hearing, you know, God's not going to give you more than you're able to handle. And, and you know, just to just trust, you know, because when you're driving and, you've, and you're in some big 40-foot motorhome towing a car and, and uh, it's starting to break down, you're just really okay you know we, so we were guided to a landing spot and um you know everything's okay but i did ask as this motorhome was being repaired i did say because i didn't even want to drive it home 
I wanted to sell it right here in Tennessee. Let's just let it go. And uh, I asked, I said, will we make it home in this motorhome? And I did get a yes. So, I mean, just even on your simple things like that versus, and also being carried through the, the deep, dark, hard times, you know, asking every day that uh, for me that may any fears and doubts that come up for me throughout the day end in faith, you know, so um, find its way to end in faith. So um, I've experienced many of the of similar things that all of you have experienced. And uh, I think the, the one thing is just having that sense of spirit flowing through you, holding you, supporting you, guiding you there for you. And, and it's not going to let go of you and let you fall, so to speak. Yeah. And <clears throat> thank you so much, Barb. There's also this aspect, as you were reminding me of, of faith is there's a part of us that knows because maybe we've had experiences of being connected with the divine. Um, and what we know, we know, you know, uh, when you have a mystical connection, you, you intuitively have a gnosis, which means lived experiential knowledge. Um, but there's also an equal amount of faith that is unknown. We, we, we know and we don't know. There's this mystery of the unknown. And Ra mentions that several times, you know, nothing is known. <clears throat> um, and <clears throat> so we do trust, we have a faith, and we have a, a part of the knowing that's based on the experience archetype that we talked about, and it creates certain biases, directions. We know for a fact certain things for ourselves, but then we're thrust into this liminal space once again where there is an unknowing. And that's when we have to trust and, and hope together in this, with this veil and trust that things are going to work out. And I think also it's important for us to see that when we have these this unknowing part and the knowing part um, and the trust that's going to happen, if we were to look below the hood on that, what we would see is a really strong and focused seeking, like a really strong and focused desire. And, and that is, seems to be very important as a part of faith is to have a seeking and a desire of an intense nature and then a trust that something's going to happen. Um, yeah, or to trust in a who, because that trusting in a who uh, really is an open-hearted chakra thing that happens and then we, we can become crystallized instruments. And Ra talks about that's what the adept is, is a crystallized inst instrument where the adept's will becomes less and less their will and more and more the creator's will. It's an interesting part. Thank you for sharing that, Barb. <clears throat> Who else would like to Doug, share? Doug, yeah. there is a uh, quote from Ra that you can maybe help the group with. Uh, he says something about 
the role of not knowing things in being able to transit to fourth density. Do you remember how that goes? You want to yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Um, and Demarcus, you might you might know the the quote it, itself, but Ra does say that it is essential to harvest a fourth density. It is essential to realize that we do not know, and that this is not a dimension of knowing even subjectively. Um, now there are things that we can know subjectively, as long as we know that it's only a small part of the truth, whatever the truth is, because the whole point of third density actually is to not know. <laughs> the point is to develop faith, faith and will and, and, you know, with, with an open heart. Yeah. That's the point. That's the point of third. That's the great gift. That's our task. One of the little, uh, little, quotes or the little messages that I took from Raw, and I didn't go to, I didn't expand or go into too much detail, but it says the faculty of faith needs to be understood, nursed, and developed in order to have an entity which seeks past the boundary of third density. Yeah, what do you take that to mean? Did you have a thought on that, Barb? I have a feeling, which I don't know if I can put into words. It's it's a feeling that's going through me and, you know, me with words. So um, I don't think I can put it into words right now. It's just a, it's a, something that's going through me as a feeling okay. with sensations. Okay. <clears throat> Anybody have any thoughts on that or you want to comment? Nobody else to go. I've got a another story slash comment about that. Okay. Um, so about eleven years ago, going on twelve, I was the director of a treatment center, and it was a it was a big job. I loved it. I was good at it, and I felt like I was on a mission, and I knew exactly why I was there and what I was supposed to do. And things were going well financially. Everything looked good. We buy a house. We have a couple of kids. Buy a couple of cars. Then we had more than a couple of bills, but things are still fine. Things are great, in fact. But increasingly, I either I'm, I'm finding myself in a position where I either have time and energy to spend with the kids, or I do the job well. Because it was about a 45 minute drive, both ways with traffic. I was on call 24 seven, and. Uh, I also worked from about seven to five. And so getting up with the kids at night, wanting to have energy to play with them when I got home, because they're babies at this point, they're like less than two, well, one's two and one's less than two. And one day, just spontaneously, uh, I told Holly, oh, I think I'm going to quit my job <laughs> um, because I can't do this and I know what's more important is being able to be a dad and be with the kids. And that feeling that Barbara was talking about, like um, I grew up in poverty, being able to just afford the basics seems like such a blessing to me. 
And here I am for the first time, I'm like on top of it. And I'm going to quit my job. And this is not a job people quit. You either get fired or you retire from that job. That's like the history of that job at that uh, treatment center system. So I put in my notice and I quit and I had no anxiety, no worry about it. It's going to work out. I'm going to go into private practice. It'll be fine. And, um, so I, I get a little office and I'm, I'm very comfortable until, um, I get a couple of clients and then they don't show up for the first appointment and I start to get a little worried. So I'm praying and I'm at this, uh, I pull in, I was, I was looking for some furniture. So I'm at this secondhand store getting furniture. And while I was in there, somebody stole my two wheeler out of the back of my truck. I, I, I walked back to the, to my truck with whatever I bought. I can't remember. And I look and it's gone and I'm looking around for some reason I look down and there's just something shiny glinting on the pavement. So I pick it up and it's a key ring that's obviously broken and it's been driven over a hundred times. And it says something, you know, there's a, a Bible message, a Bible verse that I'm not going to quote correctly, but it says, you know, I've brought you this far. Why would I drop you here? And, um, and my phone rang, it's a new client. <laughs> they showed up, um, you know, I guess 12 years later, I'm, I'm busier than I can imagine. I'm, I'm trying to hire coaches to help me, uh, work with people when they don't need intense therapy, which is what I usually do. And, um, that feeling of, you know, this is the right move. This is the right decision. Just do it. The, the, the almost like a current of energy that I'm following. And that tends to be what has, um, directed my decisions and my comfort level with them for a long time now. Um, so that resonated with me. Oh, thank you for sharing that, Michael. Barbara, uh, not Barbara, I'm sorry, Martha, would you like to share anything? Is there anything that come to mind? Let me unmute. Well, it comes to mind when we get into this topic because I didn't grow up in a religion. Uh, I grew up in what they commonly call a dysfunctional family system. And my mother told me by, at three that God hated me. And then I found out at six that Jesus wasn't going to save me because of something that happened in a church. So even though I had all those bad experiences, I still had this sense that there was this loving presence somewhere. And if I could just figure out how to be good enough, I used to think if I could be good enough, then that loving presence would find me, you know, because I knew it was there. I just didn't know how to find it. And uh, so I'm another person that's in recovery and I got sober and March 7, 1985, and I had my spiritual experience in 1988, and that experience changed my life, and it was was not an instant thing. It's, it's a, you know, I used to pray for a burning bush, and uh, I heard God still walks them all boys one time when I was praying for a burning bush like Moses. I heard this voice, this was before my spiritual experience, 
say, if I've sent you a burning bush, you tell the whole world and they put you on Thorazine. So I didn't get a burning bush. But in 1988, I got better than a burning bush uh, after three days of following some directions that my divine creator gave me. I literally felt like uh, I was rocked in the arms of love for almost a little over two weeks. And it was ironic because the woman who was my AA sponsor actually got a call from people in Brownwood, but she lived in Arlington. And they told her that I had lost my mind. And she got, she, this was before they really enforced HIPAA. And so uh, she calls my counselor, whose last name, he's deceased now, so I can use his last name, was Champ. And she called Champ and he broke HIPAA. And she went to see my counselor and my counselor said, she's not crazy. She's not bipolar. She's just happy. Everybody needs to leave her alone. And I still remember my uh, friend Ann saying, when you were dying, nobody noticed. But as soon as you got happy, joyous, and free, people thought you were crazy. So it's kind of that way today. Uh, I don't always understand law of one. You know, I did not hear about law one until I met Doug. And I'm trying to remember we met in 2019 or 20, uh, had to be 2019 because uh, we started this group in March of 2020, right before the pandemic or February of 2020. But um, I met Doug and I still remember going first time I met him and he said, you might be empathic. I'm going, yes, I know I'm an empath. What else is new? And then he said, you might be a mystic. And I had to go home and look that word up. And uh, I had an unusual experience. I didn't become Catholic until I was 60 years old. And the first time I went with a Catholic church it was in 2015. And I told them I was coming to learn to pray the rosary. I had no desire to ever be a Catholic. I'm now a Catholic. I'm not a good one, but I am Catholic. And I just find God funny sometimes because he gets me where I need to be with as long as I'm seeking he always gets me there and I said in my younger years I used to say I knew God loved me but I questioned his sanity at times so I've rambled enough (laughs) I'm glad to be here thank you Martha um I'd like to share one thing that happened to me that was right before meeting anybody here in this group, for sure. Uh, I used to work at the University of Dallas, and I worked there for four four years, and I was the director of counseling in the last year there. And it was a pretty um, difficult place on one hand there was a lot of faith on the other hand it was mostly of the extraordinarily uh, conservative bent religiously rigid and narrow Uh, and i saw my role now this is my ego this i don't think this was god's calling but i saw my role as to kind of um be a, a help for people who who wouldn't fit in in that system religiously. Um, and I, I thought I was going to stay there for a long time. I mean, things 
I was getting a more and more responsibility and all of that. I, my clients liked me, I liked them. And then there was, um, one particular client that I was trying to meet this person where they were at and I shared my blog with them. And that was a mistake, uh, at a conservative Catholic college because at a particular opportune time for this person, when they were failing out of college, they needed to have a, a scapegoat. Um, and so I was that scapegoat. And so I got an email from the, the president of the university and to meet at an emergency meeting the next day. And, uh, my immediate boss was going to be there and several other people were going to be there, including the campus minister and the priest and so on and so forth. So I went in there and uh, <clears throat> the president had printed out all of my blog and there was highlighted parts. Um, and basically said to me something along the lines of, you know, you're, you're a cult leader uh, of the worst type. And, you know, this is an egregious use of the therapeutic alliance. Um, and it was, it was horrible, the shame I felt. And, but even in that moment, uh, I, on, on the outside and emotionally, I mean, it was, it was really rough on the inside though. I had this sense of, well, Doug, you actually get to put into practice right now what you feel you always wanted to do if you were in a situation like this, which is to keep an open heart um, and to not feel like you have to prove yourself. So because I was raised Christian, uh, the, the, the image that came to my head was Jesus in front of Pontius Pilate, you know, being accused are you this? Are you that? And, um, <clears throat> you know, one of the telltale signs there was that Jesus didn't feed into any of that. There, there was a way in which, well, I, I'm, I'm making a supposition here, but there was a way in which that Jesus knew that there would be nothing he could say to any of these accusations that would make any difference and or sense to the people that were accusing him. And he showed this incredible ability to stay within himself in inner integrity and, and be able to stand there um, in his own energy and, and not fight nor cower. And boy, is that hard to do when you're in that kind of situation. So I remember specifically choosing my words very carefully because he had every this this guy had all of it all of it printed out and highlighted, and he was 
he was shaking. I think he was so mad or scared. I don't know what he was, but anyways, he was actually shaking too. And it got to a point where he says, so what do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> um, well, I'm not going to tell him that, oh, well, just last week there was a guy, there was somebody that came into my office and said, I felt like I was called here and I'm starting to see auras and, uh, and I, I'm, I'm able to perceive energy and nobody in the world, you know, I, am I crazy? Uh, no, I was, you know, so I couldn't ever say anything like that because that's just sounds so bad to extraordinarily rigid mindset. Um, <clears throat> what about the person two years ago who said that when she went to the Italy uh, campus, she started to see, everything transformed and she saw herself um, in her past life upon this mountain that she was looking at and everything kind of got juxtaposed on top of that and she's like am I crazy no or what about the hundreds of students that I saw who wanted to have a, a faith of love towards God but all they were taught was wrath and when I would offer them a different way to understand their faith, they loved it. But could I share that with this guy? No. So the only thing I could say to him was, I said, um, listen, and I said his name, you have all the power. Right now you hold 100% of the power in this equation. You have everything there. And I really don't have anything to say except that I still believe that I am following my heart and I'm doing my vocation. But obviously this is the last time that I'll be here in this university and I understand. And that's all I said. There was nothing he could say to that. Um, and then when, of course, when I went home and it was, you know, just super hard but the next day I uh, went on, I, I took myself and spent six hours by myself in, in isolation at a certain place. And I knew I needed to do my spiritual work so I wouldn't fall into resentment and anger because I really wanted to do this right. I felt like I had a lot riding on this one metaphysically for me. And so I offered it up and I prayed. I mean, I prayed for those accusing me. I prayed for those that I probably did hurt because no one's perfect as a counselor. I prayed and I asked for forgiveness. Um, and I prayed for myself. And, I, and it was all in this spirit of I'm broken open now. Thy will be done, you know. I, all I want to do is your will. So uh, a few months later, I opened up my practice, my private counseling practice. I never would have done that had not gotten fired from UD. <laughs> and then uh, a few years later now, um, it's exactly what I need it to be. And it's also freed me to develop, uh, be a part of this wonderful group here, Building Forth. And that never would have happened for sure. Um, 
So there, there's another pivotal space. But I felt like, I guess I want to say is that sometimes you're called to a certain moment of such intense liminal space of, of just, oh my God, this is almost archetypal, you know, when you're in these moments. And as crazy as it is on the outside, you're, you're almost invited at that moment to do what you've always wanted almost the heroic journey of staying inside yourself and having an inner integrity when all the fingers are pointing at you and um and you're asked you're asked in a, in a kind of a calling way is do this right do this do this one with an open heart uh and and just trust just just have that faith and trust that it's going to empty out into a new room that you would never be able to manufacture on your own, you'd screw it up. But if you can just stay in this liminal space or being, let's say, crucified upon the cross of whatever difficulty that is, that it always does lead to a resurrection in your life. Um, and, and so that was a concrete example, I think, of something that happened to me. Well, listen, um, it is 9.06, so we are going to wrap it up. <clears throat> Would anybody like to close us out with a closing prayer? Okay, I can do it. So if we could just maybe close our eyes and take three deep breaths. Loving, infinite creator, whose very nature is love. What a great and wonderful gift third density is, this veil. We certainly are providing you with an intense experience because we are you without having complete and total knowledge of being you or having omniscience and that's a pretty novel concept against the backdrop of infinity <laughs> and total unity and union but since we are indeed ontologically already one with you it is through the faculty of faith and will and open-heartedness that we learn for ourselves here in this third density veiled experience just how true the unity and union is and just how exciting life is what a gift the gift of living in liminal space of not knowing but also holding as sacred the treasures of experience that we do know. What a brilliant concept this creation is. We thank you for being a part of it, for allowing us to be here and help us in our journeys this week to say our sacred yeses when we are ourselves in liminal spaces. 
and bless all of us. Amen.